call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 72 of Call It Friend or the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, watched two celebrated German films from the last decade, Tony Erdman and Victoria. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at CallItFriendOfPodcast. Drop us a line there with any feedback or recommendations. Peace. So how did it feel watching Tony Erdman? There's a lot to like in Tony I, uh, Erdman, I would say. But kind of the distance that it puts itself from the viewer is, seems to be one of the things that charmed critics when it came out. Um, it did like a little bit of the opposite to me, I'm going to say. It blocked me from entry, <laughs> so to speak, actually, for like a lot of the long running time. The running time isn't the thing I would complain about in this. What about you? Yeah, I was. I complain about the fact that everyone is speaking German first. Mm. Although there were small parts where people spoke English yes. or norm the normal language. That was Normies, good. yeah, Norman. Yeah, I wanted to like this a lot more than I did. You, yes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're saying that you wouldn't complain about the running time? That's not the first issue for you. That's it is the first issue for me. Okay. Well, fair enough. I mean, all right. All right. So it seems snotty to uh, to lead with. Um, like what I didn't like, especially considering like uh, the stuff that I liked, I really loved. But when a film comes as universally adored as this one, it's difficult to not lead with the hesitancy that I have, you know, because it, I'm basically I'm in a different camp. I might be the problem here. See, like I loved the story uh, generally, the the idea of it. I, I loved it. I it moved me to tears twice with the song and the hug. And um, really got me thinking deeply about what it means to be a father, etc., etc. I thought the performances were great across the board. I thought the locations and themes were interesting and the, the characters were deep and compelling, etc., etc. The stumbling block was unfortunately that which the film would put front and center, which was the humor. It might be a German thing, or then again, it might be a, a, a me thing, but I've rarely seen a film consider itself so knocked down hilarious that made me laugh so little. And whether it's like the false teeth or the cum cake or Tony's intro in the restaurant, they all kind of emanate going for it and the consistent misses. Although I suppose it's more accurate to just say that they seem to be playing a sport that I don't recognize at all when it comes to humor. uh, Succeeded in irritating or embarrassing me in a manner that made actually Inez all too relatable. Like, you know, you want to be laughing with the film is what I suppose I'm trying to say. And I felt as embarrassed by it as she would have been by her dad. That would be my main stumbling block. Do you think the film really thinks it's super funny? Yes. In which scenes particularly? Pick a scene, uh, to be honest. Um, the opening scene, certainly, with that uh, stuff with the delivery guy. We're supposed to be, like, having a hoot at that, I'm sure. When she eats the cum cake, when he gets her a cheese grater, I feel like they're going for a big laugh. There's only one moment in the film that I laughed, which is when um, he asks her, I don't know, what she wants in life, and she kind of takes umbrage with the super de- with the depth of the question. And uh, he goes and she says to him, 
and what, what, where do you get meaning from in your life? Uh, putting, fart, are you going to be putting fart cushions under people when you're seventy? And he says, I, I don't have a fart cushion, and it was just very deadpan, and that made me laugh out loud. But nothing else. Him arriving to the party dressed as the weird Bulgarian thing, the naked people is probably supposed to be funny. The cum cake is supposed to be funny, you know. I'm assuming a lot of that's just like cultural differences, linguistic differences. There's there's just elements For of sure. comedy that are hard to penetrate. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I find the film overall sad, I guess. It's telling quite... It is sad. I guess a lot of humor humor does come from sort of sadness <laughs> often. <laughs> sad people <laughs> trying, to, trying to make light of things. Well, it's a very, but, very... It's successfully a very humane film, I think. Like, you really feel for the characters, particularly Ines. You want her to be okay. At least I did. You probably didn't. No, I, I don't. I felt more for Tony or for Winifred. Really? Yeah. Break that down for me. He's a guy approaching the end of his life. He was living with an elderly dog that's just died. His mother is in the process of dying. He's, his daughter has kind of slipped away and lost contact with him a little bit, moved on in her life. She seems quite depressed. He's just trying to make the best of putting his affairs in order in a certain way. Like, he's he's very much entering the end phase of his life. I don't know. It's just, it's quite depressing. And he's not, maybe not able to communicate with people in a way that he wants to, or he's, mm. he doesn't exist in the world in the way that he used to. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's just passing him by. And he tries humor to connect with people. I mean... Uh, and it works and it doesn't. I mean, it's he's very human. It's a very human portrayal of a character. Objectively, he, Winifred is a very annoying, not quite character, but person, I would say. Um, like, in the opening scenes, you see him compared to the man his wife married after and both the dissolution of their marriage and the stuffy mode of being their daughter has kind of adopted makes sense just in a moment, like, you know, as a contrast to him, I I think. It reminded me of when one time when myself and my wife were looking for a house to buy and we, our, our estate agent told us this couple was getting divorced and selling their apartment. And when the wife answered the door, I immediately got why they were getting divorced. Uh, <laughs> just as like, yeah, I would divorce the hell out of you. Because... Her husband leapt forward and kissed you on the lips. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I think I can see a problem here. <laughs> but, like, I suppose despite all of that, despite his fitting the mold of an odd-looking local creep <laughs> perfectly, we see tender moments, yeah, as you mentioned, between him and his dog, his mother, and some of the children. And you do get a sense that at least one part of him is sort of missing from his daughter, I suppose. Yeah, humor, a soul. She's away working. She's in Romania. She dreams of going off and working in Singapore. Yeah, the setting is interesting. Uh, She's heavily focused on the type of working 60 hours a week Mm. in a way that he feels, I mean, seems soulless to him. And she's working in a kind of HR role that's sacrificing because she's like a management consultant she's she's george clooney from up in the air people are going yeah people are going to lose their jobs as a result of her actions and she doesn't seem particularly worried about it it doesn't i mean she's able to separate that off it doesn't she doesn't have a big moral problem with it there's a very interesting it seems to it seems to me that her father her father is just kind of like looking at her going like you know 
are you my daughter? There's, How can you be this way? There's a very interesting part in it where they're in a meeting and, uh, or no, they're out for drinks after a meeting. And she mentions that they'll be letting some people go. And the the chief of the company, uh, who's, you know, taking on her services, essentially, is almost like offended by the no He's like, oh, I mean, that's the last call. You know, that's that's the last thing that we would want to do. But that's exactly what they want to do. They just don't want to talk about it, which I thought was sort of interesting. I thought that in a strange way, this film sort of, it shares a bit of DNA with Silence of the Lambs, with Innes in the Clarice role and Tony <laughs> is kind of Hannibal. Because like, right, in that film... <laughs> the only character who takes Clarice seriously is Lecter. What like watch it again under that lens. It's true like it's truly baffling how stupid all the male characters think she is. And in Tony Erdman there's like a, a sort of a an almost a patronizing distrust of Innes by her male co-workers that's like evidently the cause of much of her apparent distress. It would be Murray <laughs> It would be very moving if Tony wasn't bashing around with all his false teeth and sort of stuff, which I, I suppose is, you know, his raison d'etre when it comes to this film. Do you see what I mean with the sort of crossover Silence of the Lambs, or do you just think I'm ridiculous? No, I think that's insane, but I appreciate <laughs> it. I like when there's this kind of theory or this kind of comparison that just, uh, you're, you must be the first person to ever make that comparison. But what I enjoy about that is now thinking about Silence of the Lambs is... Clarice Starling is working in a in a world of of men, and they don't take her seriously. But the only person who does is this mentally ill guy. So who's right? That's my question. Well, you do understand that's what's interesting about the dynamic of Silence of the Lambs. Is it? Is I guess it was the first time that that had. Is that the first time that had really been done? Which I mean, that was like a big sort of feminist hit, right? In terms of having a... Well, I mean, it's undeniably that. Female investigator. And I, I think I've said this to mm -hmm. you before, but I saw that on the, I saw that in Phenomena a couple of years ago, a cinema in Barcelona, a huge screen. And um, I had never... I never got... I, I don't think I got it before seeing it on the big screen. I recommend everybody see that on the big screen because there's, there's so many sort of intense close-ups in it that sort of, they play out the back and forth and the, the quid pro quos and who's winning the scenes the entire way through the, the film. It's very interesting. Tony Erdman does not do that, I'll admit. But I do feel, yeah, I feel like her, Ines and Clarice Starling are kindred spirits. I like that scene in Tony Erdman where Winifred tucked his penis in between his legs <laughs> and uh, <laughs> put makeup on his face and then danced and went goodbye horses. you're joking but I think that might be the scene that this film is missing when I'm just picturing it I think that would have that would have been that, good I would have laughed a lot at that for sure <laughs> yeah goodbye horses Te you know Ted like Ted Levine he's got one of, he's one of those cases of somebody who put on a performance so good as a creep it hurt his career oh wait was that that great big fat lady <laughs> such a funny line <laughs> Was she a great big fat person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so bizarre in the middle we of that We should just scene. watch Sounds of the Lambs. We should. I, I need to watch it again, for, for sure. I'll tell you what, Sounds of the Lambs is far shorter than this. Uh, when we talked about the Empty, or when I talked about the Empty Man back in the summer, mm. that which is a, a kind of horror, psychological horror-y type film that's about two and a half hours long. Yes. I did make a case at the time where I said, okay, it is kind of insane that it's this long but there's a place for these films for people to kind of allow films to build stronger characters yes. show relationships etc etc yes. et but 
with Tony Erdman, there were multiple scenes where the camera was holding a shot and I just felt like, snip, 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 this needs to be cut. Mm. Like, it wouldn't have lost anything. You could lose a solid chunk of this and it wouldn't could you think of overall some? have an effect. Maybe when they it. go to that swimming pool place. I, I don't know about cutting whole scenes. You probably could, okay. but even just shortening shortening certain shots, I think you could easily clip. I'm going to go over, way overboard in here, here and say you could clip about 15 to 20 minutes just by shortening some scenes mm. and not lose anything. But if you wanted to trim it right down, you could probably tell the same story. I mean, there was a Hollywood remake in the works. Yeah, that's right. Which is now cancelled. I think they were going to have Jack Nicholson and Kristen Wiig, and it was going to be produced by old Lena uh, Duncombs. But was it Lena Duncombs? <laughs> yeah, apparently that's all not happening now. Nicholson is not coming out of retirement. This so is... I doubt that I'll ever see the live day. But I imagine that version would have been 90 minutes. This is almost definitive, I suppose, of kind of how I feel about the film. That sounds like I'd love to watch that. Jack Nicholson doing this movie. I don't know. It, it brings to mind him and Adam Sandler and anger management. That's the first thing that I can I feel pretty. See. Oh, so pretty. I think Nicholson should stay retired in preparation for his inevitable demise. Probably. Um, did you ever hear the story about when um, famous masturbator Louis C.K. phoned uh, him up to try and get him to be in Horace and Pete? No, what <laughs> It's funny. It's just he... He said no. He managed to get um, his number off of Lauren Michaels, and he called him up and uh, offered him the script and asked him to be in the, <laughs> the show. And Jack Nicholson apparently said to him, you know what I did yesterday? I went outside to my garden and uh, sat under a tree and read a book. And then at the end of the day, I finished the book and went back inside. And Louis C.K. just said, oh, uh, all right. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's an odd way to say no, goodbye. <laughs> that's more or less how I live my life at this point. Uh, are you reading any books? Reading a book under a tree. Yeah, apart from the book part, I just sit under trees. Ah, nice. Uh, what did you, what sure did you, you think will. about the setting of this film? Romania as a chosen setting. Uh, she says she chose it yeah. because um, she'd been enjoying the recent new wave of Romanian cinema. There's and there's also apparently a history of German companies setting up shop in Eastern Europe to like civilize and globalize the economies. And if I think it fits like pretty nicely in the background, I would say. And the characters kind of they also <laughs> they sort of bounce around in environments. Uh, that just are so garish, they kind of make you. Th I don't know. It just kind of looked like oh, they, when uh, somebody in uh, you know in Romania says, "Let's make something modern and cool," they end up with one of those clubs where they went to get drinks and and stuff. You know, it's just very garish face of capitalism. Well, I mean, I'm in Croatia right now. I can sense a bit of that. Oh here. yeah, it definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's like an Eastern European European Union expansion type thing that has that cash money type feeling to it. Are there stray dogs? I don't know. There are stray cats. I haven't seen stray dogs. Stray dogs is next Croatia's level. Croatia's pretty westernized, but I mean, I've never been to Romania. It looks nice from this. It's a little too cro a little too close to Ukraine for my liking, but still, it looks like a nice place. Well, I, I mean, if you want to watch a, another film to counteract this, what's it called? Graduation is one that came out a few years ago, and if you watch Graduation, you'll just never want to go to Romania ever in your life. I remember watching either a film or a documentary a long, long time ago about the homeless orphans who live in the metro system. And Good God, that's grim. 
Bucharest. Yeah, it was rough. So I'm fully on board with the idea that I'm the problem here and that 99% of critics the world over can't be wrong. I did enjoy it generally, and I actually wouldn't mind watching it again sometime in the distant future, though it would have to be on a big screen and with people, as I got the feeling there might be a, a sort of a mood to latch onto with a crowd that could elevate the guys I think that's exactly... I think, like you say, I think that's exactly the difference is all these people who watch screenings, they watch press screenings or festival screenings. I think there was... I, I don't know, in a way... Okay, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say I took a break in the middle of this in the cum cake scene because I just got incredibly hungry at that point <laughs> for some reason. I had to go and prepare some of my special cakes, Mister, some of Mister Mister Kipling's special cakes. But nice. Uh, yeah, I I took a break because I couldn't focus my attention for a whole you know seven hours, so I needed to take a break. But I imagine it would be a stronger experience sat in a cinema. Tell me about the on cast. A big screen. Well, we've got I've got four people that I wanted to mention. The first is uh, Tony Erdman, Winifred Conradi, played by uh, Peter Simonischek, who's uh, a respected Austrian screen and stage star. He looks much better in his Wikipedia photo. Yes, he does. If you check that out, he looks like a kind of an older, refined uh, Tony Dalton. But yeah, Peter Simonischek, he was in he was in Kursk. Thomas Vinterberg's film about the Russian submarine accident. I've never so looks quite uh, good. I'd like to check that. that out. I like Thomas Vinterberg. No, I, I yeah, me too. I like to, I like old Tommy Vince, but haven't seen that. I'd like to check that out. Uh, apparently, Peter Simonischek also played a locksmith in Zack Snyder's Army of Thieves last year. Uh. I'm calling that Zack Snyder's. I know he didn't direct it, but that is Zack Snyder's Army of Thieves, the Netflix joint. No, that guy actually directed it. The lead, Who? the lead character. Oh, good for him. Yeah, yeah. But it is Zack Snyder's Army of Thieves. I think that's how it should always be called. What's I the think first one called, called again? Have... Army of the Dead, is it? Yeah, Army of the Dead. Yeah. Have you seen that? No. Is that like an army? Is that like an evil dead army of darkness? No, no. It's like, yeah, what is it? Night, Night of the Living Dead type thing, right? Yeah, it's... It, Dawn of the it, Dead. It kind of sucks. And it sucks even worse because it's such a good idea for a movie. But it, it's... I don't bother watching it. It's It kind of blows. I'm good. I will stay away. Next up was uh, Sandra Hula, who played Inez Conradi, the daughter. Uh, she's also known for playing Annalise Michel in uh, Requiem. Uh, that's the young epileptic German lady who died during an exorcism back in the 70s. She had about 60 sessions and eventually died, I think, of... Uh, Demon. <laughs> she, she died of Catholic Church. But it's the same story as the exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, uh, I've seen uh, that. It looks pretty interesting. Sandra Huller is also in the Netflix film Munich, The Edge of War. Oh, I've been meaning to watch that. Yeah, that's right up my street, I think. Yeah, apparently pretty solid. It also stars enemies of the show Jeremy Irons and George Mackay. Yes, that's right. Star of a uh, uh, one-shot film of recent years, but not really a one-shot. Next up in the cast list was Ingrid Bisu, who played Anka, the assistant She's got a surprisingly stacked Wikipedia page, among other things. Oh, She's yeah. married to James Wan and now appears in his films like uh, the third Conjuring film and also Malignant, which she co-wrote. She's married to James She's Wan? She's the modern Daria Nicolodi. My, might I send a message to James Wan from the Call It Friendo podcast? You may. Nice. That's it. Last up in the cast list, last person to mention is Lucy Russell, who played Steph, mm. who's an English lady character. Yes. She uh, played the blonde in uh, Christopher Nolan's first film, Following. I loved the blonde. And she, 
Yeah, exactly. That's my favorite. There's there's a character called Cobb in Following as well, which he then reused in Inception. Yes, yes. But yeah, Lucy Russell. She was she was also in uh, Batman Begins as a restaurant goer, and that's nice. But it's interesting that Christopher Nolan, of all his films, he brought her back. You know, like I assume he's just doing a favor and going like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I suppose I should get that lady off of Following. <laughs> I should give her a job somewhere." I got to give her one of my film roles. Yeah. Like a, or give her a role in one of my films. So he waited until Batman Begins, and then that was it. Well, she's got her integrity intact. Well, I believe so. We haven't done any medical testing to make sure it's intact, but we can assume so. She also uh, went on to play Lady Mountbatten in The Crown. Hell yeah. British porn, The Crown. Have you watched any of The Crown? Loyalist porn. I haven't. It's great. But I do imagine that it is just people sing around going oh wasn't isn't the isn't the british empire great that's about the size of it yeah <laughs> yeah i thought so it's not really for the british public i imagine it feels like the type of thing you sell overseas and go like hey look well they take a lot of liberties with money. the truth that's fair to say but it's so lavish and well acted and yeah i'm a big fan i love the crown okay well those are the four cast members everyone else was just uh cg'd in later on they're not real people Will we will we uh, will we try and uh, improv it? No, I'm going to read through the plot synopsis. Yes, and yes, and I'm going to read through the plot synopsis. <laughs> okay, I improvised that sentence. Winifred Conradi is a divorced music teacher from Aachen with a passion for bizarre pranks involving several fake personas. Have you ever been to Aachen? No, have you? Yeah, <laughs> as though that's like an important. Yeah, you haven't been to Aachen. What are you? even doing with your life i've heard it's quite nice you loser it is quite nice it's on the border it looks of nice germany the, the netherlands and belgium yeah so it's a weird little place it's just kind of i'm gonna like make a, a, a scathing me. statement here go ahead in general i i think germany's like a overrated place and i don't like to visit it that much and i've been a few times i don't think the food is That's good scathing. i don't think it's like nice to look at i haven't had much banter there and they killed a bunch of Jewish people. No, I mean, fair enough. That was some other people. Wait, it's hard to it's hard to to argue against most of those points. Yes, uh, but easy to argue against one in particular if you've got the right kind of evidence. <laughs> yeah, and the food, satellite photos, <laughs> the food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, the food. the food. I haven't seen any satellite photos of restaurants. Um, I don't think anyone is trying to claim that uh, German food is good. Are they? What do they like about Germany? I like about Germany. I mean, I, I, one of my favorite things about Germany is Second World War history. That's pretty cool. Yeah, is that bad to say that? Like, you know, that's one of the things I like about seeing is yeah, it's it's just such a this overbearing. This you can feel the still. I mean, for something that's you know what eighty years ago now, mm. you just you still feel this immense power from the past i think that's interesting i think germany is a very beautiful country to look at i think there's like amazing forests and things I like see, that. i haven't I done stuff like that i suppose yeah well i went to berlin one time and then i took a train down into the spreewald and- which is about i don't know 50 kilometers south of berlin maybe not that far and then did a big walk through the countryside it's very it was quite nice <laughs> and that was beautiful was it it was. Okay. It was a very nice experience. Yeah, maybe I'll give it another shot, I suppose. Yeah, Hamburg's fun. That's like low-rent Amsterdam. What, like with drugs and hookers and stuff? Yeah, it's like that's where the Beatles used to play a game where 
someone would go under the table and start filleting them and they weren't allowed to look to see if it was a man or a woman. That's facts. Is that a fact? I don't know. I heard it from someone ages ago. <laughs> I didn't even hear that from like a reputable source. It's just a story someone told well, me. Well, I heard that. So, yes, one, it's factual. I heard one time that uh, Rod Stewart got taken into hospital before <laughs> yes. a gig and he had to get his stomach pumped and there was a pint of semen but that's in also, there. But <laughs> that, I heard that, that. How many people has that story been about? There's about 10 different rock stars. I heard that. Marilyn Manson. So I assume that that's, I assume that that's a thing that, that constantly happens. I heard that Marilyn Manson yeah, got his, the rib, got his okay. bottom ribs removed so he could suck his own knob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that these these are all facts. I know they're facts. That's why I'm saying it on this podcast. This... Yeah, well, you, 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 I, I don't think you should lead with "I heard." Uh, you should yeah. say, "As we all know, if you refer to the evidence, you will find." Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, sure, cool. Just to be clear, following the death of his beloved dog, he decides to reconnect with his daughter Inez, who's pursuing a career in business consulting. Inez is working in Bucharest, Romania, on an outsourcing project in the oil industry. Consumed by her work, she seems to have little time for her family. Oh, oh, yeah, she works in the oil industry. Yeah. She's a bad person. Yeah. But they're, they're surely, instead of uh, Romania, they should be getting all their oil from Russia. That's the place or to go gas. for it, I hear. That or Venezuela. It was, I just I like, I like well, the way Maduro dances when he, he wins something. I want to make Maduro happy. I haven't seen that. I'll check it out. I'll send you a meme. Winfred spontaneously travels. I thought it was going to be Winfred spontaneously combusts. <laughs> Winfred. That would have been a movie, yeah. <laughs> that would have been, I, I would have been way in. That would have been great. Winfred spontaneously travels to Bucharest and waits for an S in the lobby of an office complex. I find that quite annoying. <laughs> yeah, what the hell, man? <laughs> I was so on he, Winifred's she's side She's walking through the office. Oh, wait, you were on no, his no, side. No, no, sorry, on Ines's in- side. I was like, what the, what the hell are you doing, you weird old She's creep. walking through the office in Bucharest with clients, and her dad is just sort of loitering and starts following next to her and she does a boss move and completely ignores him yeah and then sends someone down and says sorry i was with clients and then he says aren't you married to james wan yeah that's what he says that to the uh assistant yeah lady. yeah and she says not yet that's coming in a couple of years nice i wonder where they met i believe it was a a, a party a special kind of party oh right one of those uh ones that uh, you went to with brian singer that time no, a party where you have to get naked. Ah, right. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Were you I, not naked right, at though. the singer party? I was a hundred percent going down the other road. I just, I was the one who decided to make a change there. After several hours, she finally appears, accompanied by several of her clients' board members, and on the way to a meeting, Winfred puts on sunglasses and fake teeth as a playful, playful disguise, which is yeah, and approaches... not weird and creepy at all. <laughs> And approaches the group from the side while hiding behind a newspaper. Inez ignores him, but meets with him briefly after work and invites him to a business reception at the U.S. Embassy. Do you know who he reminds me of? It suddenly come to me. There was this old man who used to bring in like wildlife into our primary school, um, and then uh, one time uh, he dissected a bird in front of the class, uh, and then uh, he wasn't allowed to come anymore because it really creeped loads of people out. Marinada, the director, says that he's partially based on Tony Clifton, the Andy Kaufman ah, character. Yeah, it makes sense. I imagine like being friends with Andy Kaufman must have been exhausting as well for that reason, of just him, like, everything's a fucking bit. Yeah. It's like, Andy, just relax. Nowhere near as, like, annoying as it would be to be friends with uh, Jim Carrey, I would imagine. 
Yeah, a a similar type of thing, I think. But he, oh yeah, that's true. But he also seems like you know he's got that kind of darkness in him. I don't think he's prob. I don't think he's actually doing a lot of bits. I think Jim Carrey would be sitting around painting most of the time, going like the world is ending. I watched that. He doesn't seem super fun. I I still I haven't watched that in fairness, and it just made me hate Jim Carrey so much. That's fair. In the evening, Winfred and Inez attend the reception where they meet Henneberg, a German oil company CEO with whom Inez wishes to secure a consulting contract. Yes. Inez tries to gain Henneberg's attention, but Henneberg seems more interested in her father. Mm. Yep. Winfred tells Henneberg that he has hired a replacement daughter because Inez is always busy. That's a great bit, isn't it? To tell that client guy it's a very that dad you've bit. got a new daughter. Oh, yeah. Are you already thinking about this? It Was this like a learning thing for you where you're like, all right, I'll file that away for 20, 30 years down the line? It did. It made me think whatever about being, you know, a teenager. Teenagers are assholes, I suppose. But it made me think I need to do my best to not be like an embarrassing person when I need my daughter to look after me. You know what I mean? Just wait until your daughter is off doing business deals in China and you're just lying around with your dying dog. This is your future. I'm not getting a dog. Okay, well, you might have a cat or something. Unless I go to... A hamster. hamster. I heard you're going to get a gerbil. (laughs) Heard that's high on your shopping list. Well, as evidence suggests, uh, if I wanted to get a gerbil, I could just uh, go over to Richard Gere's house and stick my hand up his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, totally. I I remember reading that in those those documents. I'm never never getting a dog. Unless I go to visit my daughter in China, in which case I'll get one to eat. Uh, that's fine. I don't think anyone will have any problems with what you've just said. <laughs> to Inez's surprise, Henneberg invites Winfred and Inez for drinks, along with his entourage. At the bar, Henneberg once again brushes Inez aside and makes fun of Winfred. There's a lot of he said, she said type things in here that... I don't care. And that's kind of how I felt watching the vast majority of the film is just like, yeah, okay, I get it. You're all interacting. Daddy wants to reconnect with his daughter who seems a bit hard-nosed and emotionless. Well, she's just trying so hard to not be her father. And I think it's a good move on her part, actually. Fair enough. I was just watching it going, I I wish someone would come on a cake because... (laughs) (laughs) This, I've been waiting so long for this, and I'm just waiting. Anyway, after several days, Inez and Winfred are struggling to get along. Stressed out from work, Inez oversleeps, missing a planned rendezvous with clients, and blames her father for not waking her up. That's a bit of, of that was a bit of an arsehole move from her. Yes. It's not her dad's fault that you were Yeah, sit in an alarm clock, lady, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A grown lady, you're about 40. Feeling alienated and unwanted, he leaves in a taxi for the airport. Inez continues with her work as normal and several days later arranges to meet two female friends at a bar. While Inez and her friends are chatting, a man approaches and introduces himself as Tony Erdman. Yes, the man is clearly Winfred in a wig and false teeth, but Inez does not let on. Her two friends politely engage Erdman in conversation. This film made a lot of money, didn't it? It made about $11 million from a $3 million budget. It's pretty sick. He explains that he's a life coach and consultant visiting Butcherest to attend the funeral of his friend's turtle. That's a good bit. You're right. That <laughs> That is the film. You're, you are right that that is the film thinking it's super funny. Yeah. and Those type of him weaving a, a, a story telling like a load of bullshit to people in a bar 
is unfortunately not as funny as the film would like it to be. I, I agree with that. Well, it stinks of that kind of, I don't know, both you and I have been in many rooms with many people who think they're funny and are not. It's not yes. nice, <laughs> you know? No. But the the way that the characters are portrayed, the ones who react to him, they they all have this kind of like, oh, he's a bit weird, but I guess he is quite charming. Hmm. Whereas I would immediately just turn my back. Well, okay, I would probably have had headphones on the entire time, so he couldn't talk to <laughs> Just me. sitting in the corner and not interacting with anyone. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would have been facing the wall <laughs> in the dark. But that's fine. That's a life choice. I'm a life coach. Yes. Do you think I'm the, the restaurant looks nice? That drives off a cliff. Uh, all the restaurants and things like that look nice. You think? They all look fine. They're not the type of places I would ever go, but they're fine. Again, it just stunk to me of, uh, you know, this is what is considered cool. Wait, wasn't she paying like 100 euros for a massage? Mm, I think she was getting a massage for free, actually. Oh, was she? I thought she, oh, by then she's like, we spend a lot of money. Yeah. I thought it was like 100 no, no, euros. No, but her company reason. spends a lot of money there. Right, right, right. That really annoyed me, actually. This is such a stupid point, but... When they left the they sandwiches. Order, like a bunch of food. Yeah, and it looks good, leave, too. They order a bunch of free sandwiches yeah. and champagne and then leave. Yeah, that annoyed me. I hate me. when people do that in films. It's like, fucking get a doggy bag. Oh, yeah. If, like... you're gonna have a, if you're gonna have a four-hour-long film, show me the 30 seconds that it <laughs> takes to bag up those sandwiches and take them with you. That's all I ask. It's like in Bridge of Spies when sandwiches. Tom Hanks orders the three breakfasts and they just arrive when he has to leave and it's like, no, dude, have a fucking pancake, please. <laughs> He's like, I hadn't even come on it yet. <laughs> I know. Inez is increasingly frustrated and unfulfilled in her work and personal life but continues to encounter Erdman sporadically at parties or outside her office. At first, Ines is angry with her father and accuses him of trying to ruin her. But as time goes on, she comes to see the value of her father's in interventions in her life and plays along with the ruse. Is that her seeing the value of her I father's don't think interventions? So. No. That seems like they're taking liberties in your plot description. Yeah, here. totally. That's not really what happens. It's kind of like by way of happy accident, which I suppose is actually an interesting thing about the film because it doesn't specifically like it does like. I do think the film goes out of the way to make Winifred fucking annoying, unless I'm completely missing the point, which is quite possible. I missed the point on that uh, Don't Look Up film, I remember. But, like, I do think this they specifically just try to make... We're on Inessa's side more so than anything, but somehow her father's weird sort of antics push her over the edge in a way that's quite cathartic and good for her. But I don't think you might I don't think it's objectively speaking the value of his antics. You know, it's just a happy accident think, with those two worlds colliding. You might have missed the uh, the Tony Erdman, the character himself, represents climate change. I don't know if you got that. Do, does he represent climate change? That's right. In that it's just a series of disguises, and in the end, it's gonna you know it's, <laughs> yes, it's, gonna, it's all fake. Yeah, it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's not real. <laughs> it's just like Tony Erdman. Ah, uh, nice. I get it now. A lot of masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, right, now you understand. <laughs> That's why the critics loved it. Erdman accompanies her on a night out with her work friends and eventually even accompanies her to a business meeting. In turn, Erdman takes Ines to a Romanian family's Easter party where he forces her into a reluctant performance of Whitney Houston's greatest love of all after singing Ines probably rushes off. This doesn't, I mean, it touched there on the fact on this, that he goes, I think, didn't we? Yeah, he goes with her, but he goes with her to a business meeting mm. 
That's one of the scenes I actually liked, yeah. which is just his interactions of wandering around looking for a toilet. Yeah. And then he goes into this sort of local family's home to use their toilet. He wanders into what we picture interact. when we picture Romania. Yeah, yeah, which is, that might be a bit harsh that they're like these, you know, they ain't got much, but uh, good for them. But I, I like that. I, I think that showed Winfred's ability to connect with people. Yeah. That's the aspect of him that his daughter was missing. Not the jokes and the fanning around, but like the ability to, I don't know, having yeah. some sort of and it is sense of right and wrong and just some kind of human connection. It's a real nice human moment where he, t- and actually also, I will say a little bit funny, where he orders the guy to get fired and then it's only a joke. <laughs> By mistake. Yeah, yeah, and the guy's actually going to end up getting fired and he's like, no, God, don't do that. Don't fire him, please. That one felt a bit kind of thick of it or something like that. Yeah, actually. A lot of it feels quite thick of it. Maybe it's the settings, the the hotel rooms and the conference rooms and shit. It's also shaky, steady cam yeah, following yeah, yeah, people around. True. It's quite naturalistic. Note, film watch style. the thick of it again. Yes. And uh, In the in Loop. loop. I was Very good. Planning, and also Death of Stalin I th- is prime for rewatching for me. I rewatched that last year. It was excellent. I need to watch it again. Back at her flat, Inez is preparing to host a business team-building brunch to celebrate her birthday. She struggles to zip up her tight dress, realizing her shoes don't match, and attempts to change clothes. We've all been there. The doorbell, yes, the doorbell rings. Instead of redressing or changing her outfit, she opens the door wearing only her underpants. The first guest is her friend, Steph, who offers to help her get dressed. Inez refuses, and when the next guest arrives... She spontaneously removes her underpants. Underpants. That doesn't sound very sexy. And answers the door <laughs> naked, telling her guests that her birthday brunch is a naked party. It's a naked party, yeah. Each of them reacts differently, with some leaving in disgust, while others self-consciously strip. As the party becomes increasingly awkward, Winfred arrives dressed in a full-body Bulgarian kukuri. You, kukuri you must have related massively to this scene from that time that you took your Boy Scout troop to Brian Singer's house. <laughs> yes, that's correct. There was no man dressed in a full-body Bulgarian kukuri costume, though. Kukuri costume? Not, Is that what it's called? A, yeah, that's K-U-K-E-R-I. I'm gonna, I don't speak Bulgarian. Mm. It's kukuri. And it's supposed my to be book. like a, a, my kukuri a demon or something, is it? I don't know. It looks like it's some sort of sex thing. A sex yeti. <laughs> is there any, is Bulgarian, there any other kind of yeti? Bulgarian sex Sasquatch. That's all it is. The costume first scares, then amuses the party goers, and Winfred soon leaves. Ines follows him. Outside in a public park, they hug. Winfred still in costume. Yes, that made me cry. Did, was I, that, I did a big cry. Yeah, that was affecting. That was moving for you. I don't know. Big time. The, him shambling around in the big pube suit kind of took away any deep emotional connection I would have had with it. And you, you've actually stumbled upon a few moments in the movie that I, I actually did find that a bit funny just because it was just so ridiculous and felt quite real as well. And then when he couldn't get the, 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 the head off, I found that a little bit funny, I must admit. The whole nudity of the party thing, something that was interesting about it for me was like after a couple of minutes... I didn't even notice that they were naked anymore. It is interesting how it, it really normalizes, like nudity is normalized quite quickly. But I was quite disappointed because I, by that point I was thinking, yes, we're going to see Winifred naked. Yeah, that's what, that's why I... And then, and then, and then everybody will realize that Tony Erdman was a fraud all along. <laughs> because of his, <laughs> of his mis- misshapen testicle. 
Yes. yes. He's, got, he's famous for that across Germany. <laughs> the man from Aachen, with one ball bigger than the other. Good God. I'm so glad we didn't see Winifred naked. I have no strong feelings one way or another. I will admit this might be this might be bad to say, but I I thought Ingrid Ingrid Bisu's performance as a naked lady was very good. Yeah, I thought she really she really brought something to the role. She did, yeah. For me, per, on a personal level, well, you probably you probably loved it when the boss arrived. Nudity, you probably thought that was great, didn't that, you? That was that was that was fine. You were, but I'm gonna <laughs> say I'm gonna say Ingrid movie, say, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but uh, we—I mean, we haven't. Uh, yeah, this this plot synopsis skipped over the whole coming on the cake. Oh yeah, incident. Well, I mean, I didn't want to bring it up with you, you know, <laughs> in case you just have put like I, we got to finish this podcast. <laughs> I find sometime. it very <laughs> triggering. I find it very triggering. Yeah, my, and the guy who diet. comes on the cake uh, won't get the lads out, uh, the lad out, um, and go into the party. He's like, "All right, call me when it's." What normal. do you think that means? Uh, I just think he kind of sucks <laughs> as a person. I think you get that impression of him. I think he's also he's call me when he shagged the English one. Call me, call me when we're jizzing on uh, bakery products. No, that's you sound like my dad. Months later, Inez returns to Germany for her grandmother's funeral. She has quit her job in Bucharest and will shortly begin a new one in Singapore, where presumably she will be extremely happy and will you know just go on and live a wonderful life. Well, she won't be able to chew gum. We'll talk- no, why well, can she chew it? You're just you can't spit it on the no, no. On it's the it's, an, it's an illegal substance. What happens you can't if have it with you? What happens if what happens if they see it in your mouth? Do they? You like, can go to prison. Bash your face and <laughs> imagine being in like they send you to one of the hardest prisons in all of Singapore and you're in there for chewing gum. <laughs> what are you in for, son? Yeah, chewing gum. Yeah, I mean murder. I did murders. That's what'll happen to Ines, I'm sure of it. Yeah, she's going to be in Singapore's prison. Old Sing Singapore prison. While talking with Winfred in the garden, Ines grabs the fake teeth from his shirt pocket and puts them on. Winfred says he wants to take a photo and goes to get his camera, leaving Ines alone in the garden. Now, are we to assume that Winfred dies while he's in getting the camera? Yeah, for sure. Because he took a long fucking yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what happened. Well, I mean, to be fair, he is a doddering old idiot. He's a doddering old idiot who was able to go to Romania successfully and stalk his daughter. Yeah, man. It was almost like a niche. He's a able to move, do quite it? a lot of stuff. He is very much the Austrian <laughs> slash German Nitrum. Anyway, that was Tony Erdman. We've seen it now. Yes. A few years later, it's, but there you go. Critically acclaimed. All the c- critics were acclaiming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Acclaim, saying, acclaim. This is good. Acclaim, acclaim. Acclaim, acclaim. That's, that's how that works at the end of screenings. You either... You, you you stand up and you go acclaim, or you go the opposite of that. <laughs> What's the opposite of critical acclaim? Boo, boo! A crit- it was critically Slammed. booed. They slam it. Slammed. Slam. Give the film a they good slam. Slam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slam. Okay, so I think it, <laughs> at the end, of, whenever we watch a film, we should say acclaim or slam. All right, that's the new bit. That is, Great. As our, that's our as cl- as critics, yes. we either Hell acclaim yeah. or slam. So what are we doing with Tony Erdman? I'm gonna say. It's a binary option, and yeah, and I believe in all things are binary as far as I'm concerned. Are you going to give it a slam? I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to. It's slam. It's slam from me. Yeah, I'm going to give it a slam too. Slam. We got to be binary about this. Yeah, it's going to go. So we're going to take away all of its plaudits. Its plaudits are being removed and loaded into a big van. Yeah, enjoy being ninety-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You fuck. 
the plaudit bailiffs are coming to take them away. Yurt. Oh wait a minute! I did. I have. I have a quick game that we we played last time. Okay. I've changed the options. Oh, excellent! And uh, this game, wait, actually, I, you know what I could do for this? I just realized we could have a nice little intro. Is Tony Erdman longer or shorter than this film? All right, let's do it. That's it. Tony Erdman is two hours and 42 minutes long. That's 162 minutes. I've got five films here. I'm going to tell you the name of the film, and you need to tell me, is Tony Erdman longer or shorter than this film? The first film is David Fincher's The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Okay. Uh, Tony Erdman is longer than that. That is not correct. Fuck. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button runs at 2 hours and 46 minutes. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, the longest film in, in recorded history. It took me years to watch Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I saw it, it, like, in it legitimately it. took me years. I had to break it into really small chunks. I couldn't get through it. That's four minutes longer than Tony Erdman. It's the oddest entry on Fincher's filmography by a fucking country mile, isn't it? I like that early scene with the clock going backwards, but everything after that don't care about agreed film number two on the list is ridley scott's the last jewel the last jewel is shorter than tony erdman that is correct any idea by how many minutes um 10 that's exactly right nice (laughs) did you check that no i didn't (laughs) Were you, were you looking at your list of film times off screen or something? Yeah, got, you got me. I just imagine your walls are just plastered with all these Yeah, films just red string times. connecting pictures of uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy and uh, <laughs> Alex Jones and the running times of films. Nice. Well, I, let's hope that your film running time insane conspiracy board can help you with the next one because the next film is Denny Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049. Oh, hell yeah. That is... Longer? <laughs> I sound certain. Longer? Is it longer? Yeah, I mean, the clue is in the title. It's 2,049 minutes long. You're not a fan? No, I, I really like Blade Runner 2049. I think it's beautiful, yeah. but I've only ever seen it once, and I almost fell asleep. I saw it in the cinema on a Sunday afternoon, and I was a bit sleepy. I've seen it And I would like now. to rewatch it, but yeah, it is it. two minutes. It's. T- I'm going to tell you this one. It's two minutes longer than Tony Erdman. Nice. Um, it also kind of has uh, introduced the world to um, Anna de Armas, who's a hot piece oh, of yeah. ass. Mm, Anna of and arms. Yes, Anna of arms. arms and ass. She's 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 a hot piece of arms. Uh, next up, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut is longer than Tony Erdman. It is not. Oh no. Tony Erdman is longer than Eyes Wide Shut. Any ideas how many minutes by consulting your board of running Five? times? Ooh, you're close. It's three minutes. Okay. Two hours, 39 minutes long. All that stuff happens in Eyes Wide Shut. Tom Cruise does all kinds of sex things. Great movie. It is a great movie. Okay, finally, last one on the list. A film that's near and dear to your heart and the hearts of the Russian people. Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker. Oh, wow. That's got to be... Or is it? No, I'm going to say it's shorter than Tony Erdman. 
Well, I'm sorry. This was a trick question. It's the same length. Oh, okay. Two hours, 42 minutes. I'll tell you what. It definitely feels longer. I don't know if you've ever seen Stalker, but my God. I have not. It took me long enough to get through Tony Erdman. Yeah. It took me more than two hours and 42 minutes to get through Tony Erdman. I'll say that. And I doubt that Tarkovsky included any come on cake scenes, although I don't want to. You know, I'm not sure about that. No, I think he blew his load on come on cakes uh, in his in the the childhood of Ivan Solaris. Yeah, Solaris had a bit okay. of that too. That's it. that's all I know. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about Tony Ehrman is that Marinada, the uh, director, she produced Pablo Lorraine Spencer last year, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I just think it's impressive that she's using her power to help produce and get other stuff made like that, mm. like something like Spencer. You like a powerful woman, Fair don't plan. you? I do. Yeah. I remember you hearing you say that a bunch of times. You used to say, I like a powerful woman. Well, you, you mean that mantra that I say when I wake up yeah, exactly. in, into the into the mirror. Exactly. Well, into the mirror, or I think also into, I don't know, a picture of um, Asia Argento. Yes. Uh, I was trying to, oh, Rose McGowan. That's who I meant to bring up. Yes, into a picture oh, of okay. Rose McGowan. Well, that makes more sense. She's a powerful woman. Well, speaking of Rose McGowan, uh, we, we watched this biographical film based on her life victoria yes yes they changed her name for you know by the, they didn't want by to be the sued. period that she spent committing crimes in berlin man do you know what i just i would love to see a victoria type movie about that story you told me about justin long oh the one where he got drugged <laughs> yeah. in the back of it. someone offered him a, someone offered him a lift yeah some townies offered him a lift home from a bar or something and then drugged him and then he had to jump out of a moving vehicle in a, in a, a dorky Justin Long movement, I imagine. Oh, God. He probably just sort of slithered out under his seatbelt and threw a gap in the door. I just think that that story has stuck with me. But yeah, just be careful, folks. And that's what I would like. Uh, that's what I would like. Uh, Sebastian, uh, what's his name? Sebastian Shepik. Maniscalco? No. <laughs> oh. Sebastian Shipper. Sebastian Hello, Shipper. Shipper. Yes, I have it on the next page here. Damn it. Anyway, uh, I think Victoria is like almost a story unto itself. Like the making of it, like what, like what, that happened before, during, and after the actual filming of the film, the filming of the thing. Let's say uh, is one of a small few like one shot films ever made. Yeah, maybe we should just say the plot first and foremost. Let's just start with the plot because we can go through that so incredibly quickly. Okay. So there's a lady called Victoria. She's, out she's Spanish. She's working in a cafe in Berlin. Yes. She, I mean, she works for four euros an hour and she's out clubbing because she's in her early to mid twenties and she's Spanish and she's in Berlin. Therefore, she should be awake at three o'clock in the morning. Yes, that makes sense. Then she does seem to be out clubbing by herself, though. Yes, which is the realm of serial killers, as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, yeah, that's not good. Um, then she meets uh, these young ruffians. One in particular, uh, she's taken by name of Sonny. His name is, and he's got a friend called Boxer who looks Sonny. like a maniac, and then there's a couple of other fellas. And she just says, all right, sure, I'll bop along with these fellas for a little bit. They steal some beers out of a night sh- uh, a, a night and shopping. <laughs> that's the correct <laughs> yeah, term, yeah, exactly. I believe. Yeah. And then they climb. What, what's that? I think they're ca- that's called like a spat calf. Some, there's, yeah, it, it's got a name beginning with S, all right. Because, of course, yeah, you can, they stay open all night, and you can booze on the street in, uh, in Germany, which is... Yeah, you can drink all, like when I I've been to Berlin quite a few times. It's uh, a city that I like very much, but I remember on the trains there's like a sign that says don't throw your glass bottles out the window. So they're 
perfectly on board with you getting pissed. Just don't try to kill people using your bottle. But yeah, you can That's pretty much like you Spain, can buy mate. a beer and just you can drink wherever you want. Are you allowed to drink in the streets of... No, but you can kill people with your Barcelona? bottles. Okay, well, that's like a nice compromise. And you can also do it with a can or like a soup. Barcelona's run on prison rules, I think. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, they climb up to this roof and drink beer and smoke a joint, and then she has to go. So she and Sonne go to the cafe... I have to leave. ...where she works, and... Yeah, they, she, they play the piano. She tells uh, some stories about how she, when she was at the conservatory, she like it made her hate her friends because she wanted um, them to fail and her to succeed. She's really good at piano, basically, is the story. And there's a real nice moment between the two of them. And then, all of a sudden, a boxer comes along uh, and he's like, hey, mate, listen, we've got to go do this thing now. Because I was in prison, I hurt a guy, and I owe this guy a favor because I did not get raped in prison. And now I got to do this thing for this guy. So it's Esone leaves, but then again, they have to come back because one of their friends is really fucked up and vomiting and he's not suitable to do the job. So Victoria says, sure, I'll fucking come along and do the job. She's able to drive. So she drives to this dodgy, scary place with the boys. And there's the guy, your man, Boxer, knew from prison in there. And we find out, oh, my God, these guys have to go rob a bank. The guy will take a cut of 10 grand, which is mad. <laughs> yeah, he put, at one point, he puts his, his pinky into, he turns his hand upside down, puts his pinky into his mouth and says, I want 10,000 euros. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're like, OK, fuck it. We got to do it. On the way to the bank, they all kind of have panic attacks. But eventually they do. They they plus they're like doing coke. They're doing yeah. They're, they're doing they're drugs, coked up to the gills. And uh, so then yeah, they pop in and rob the bank. Come out. Uh, they get away. It's mad. And then they just park the car and go clubbing, starting spending loads of money. It's pretty stupid. Then they come back out and they see right. the police at their car. A little bit of a chase in shoes, a little bit of a shootout. Boxer dies. Tori- Blinker as well. Blinker as well. Victoria and Sonny are left with the money. They get into this apartment building and hold a guy at gunpoint to get into his apartment where there is a baby. Uh, I did not approve of that. What a bad father. Really, that couple's getting divorced after that, for sure. And then... Victoria and Sonny change clothes into the gammy clothes of the people who own the flat. So actually, maybe they have such They're gammy not, clothes. Yeah, that's, it's going to strengthen their bond. Yeah, yeah. They have such gammy clothes, maybe they lack integrity. Uh, you know, so, you know, ah, oh, we just lost the baby. We'll get a new one. Maybe they never went and picked up the baby. They're probably, do you think they're probably more worried about the clothes? <laughs> probably. Gammy ass clothes. Anyway, they escape with the baby, and then they leave the baby in the shop across the street. They get a they get into a taxi and go to a hotel. At this point, it's kind of revealed that Sonny's been shot, and they're like, "Oh shit!" He's like, "Take the money, go. Seriously, it's fine." But then, so she she says, "Fuck that! I'm not doing it." She calls an ambulance, but then he dies in the bed, and she just does take the money and bugger off, and presumably lives happily ever have lives yeah, happily with fifty ever grand, after, you know. 50,000 euros, she's never going to have to work again. That's going to last her for generation, for her family for generations. You see, the thing is, I think 50,000 euros is about the m- number that if you, are, if you are smart with it, you could probably do what you're talking about. <laughs> what do you mean if you take it to Vegas or something? How, w- how would you make 50,000 euros do anything for you? Last. Crypt- crypto? Uh, pick a pick a business that lo- eating crumbs. Pick a business that like you know looks like it might succeed. Fair and Do enough. a down payment. Just be smart with it. That's that's fair enough. Start a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'll give you that. 
But anyway, yeah, she lives happily ever after. She goes to Spain, but she probably does. You know, she probably has it spent in a year on bullfighting or something. We we don't we don't know that she, we don't know that she's gone to Spain. The only reason that we think she's gone to Spain is because we know Spanish people so well, <laughs> and she's definitely gone home to Spain. Oh yeah, totally. She's gone. She's at home. There's no question. Eating pie in yeah. a second. Exactly. Yes. She's she's at her grandparents' house having lunch on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, no for question. sure. She just arrives home, hugs everybody, says, "Oh my God, yeah. why did I ever leave oh, the street yeah, that I was, was born crazy. on?" <laughs> uh, they're all racists. Uh, they don't like us over there. Yeah. All right, but then the the whole thing with this film is not quite the story. It's that it's all told in one shot, uh, one unbroken shot. It's one of the f- small few one shot films ever made. And uh, I of the three that I've seen, it is unquestionably the best. I don't count things like Birdman or nineteen uh, six seventeen because they were stitched together. Let's see. So what have I seen? I've seen Russian Ark. Have you seen that? It's a two thousand and two experimental film where we're guided through the Winter Palace in Saint Petersburg by an unnamed narrator, um, and we like encounter famous figures from and scenes from Russian history. It's like an arty kind of a time bandits built around a gimmick it's worth seeing if you're interested but more so in the history than the medium then i suppose do you count have you ever seen alfred hitchcock's film rope uh no i don't think i ever got around to rope well it's a cheat technically it was derided as a failed experiment when it came out in 1948 but i think it's fucking great to be honest it's the story of two gay intellectuals uh, who murder a guy in the opening and then have a dinner party are they also arseholes they are arseholes too yeah they're a pair okay, of gay thank guys you for who are murderers, so they're assholes. Uh, and they have a dinner party around the, the corpse, um, delighting in the notion that they've committed a perfect crime. Film magazines lasted 10 minutes, so Hitchcock would dolly up to like the opening of a door or something, and at the precise moment when the door blocked the frame, they would cut. So it's technically a cheat as well, but it's quite ingenious if you watch it like the way he managed to pull it off because it does seem like one continuous shot surely that one should count because because of the limitations yeah, like I if they hadn't it. had the technical limitations he would have been able to do it and he would have done it it's only 80 minutes and it's got jimmy stewart um, and like everybody with more than like a passing interest in movies should check it out it's it's definitely worth giving it a go because especially when you know the fact about the magazines it just makes it interesting and you spot the cuts you will spot the cuts easily but like still he he does do a good go of it my favorite like instances of one shot foolery in film history uh, occur in possibly my favorite film ever could you guess uh is it the beast master it is not it is uh, alfonso Cuarón's children of men Oh, yeah. Namely, the ambush, the escape, and uh, the battle. These, for me, are like exactly indicative of when to deploy the technique so it's effective rather than distracting. And that's exactly how I'd say it's put to use in Victoria. But I, I, well, What are the other big ones that are just scenes, like the entering the club in Goodfellas? Yeah, that's a pretty famous one, or all right. Uh, the true detective fight with the bikers is pretty oh, spectacular. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Can't right. Pick of any and the the cinematographer for that True Detective scene, we talked about him. Was I think he did one of the Justin Kurzel films? Was it? Yes, yes, I think so. I yeah. can't remember which one though. Yeah. Oh no, it was uh, Snowtown. Snowtown. Yeah, yeah, that that's what right. It was. But like, I mean, I suppose what's so great in the ones in Children of Men is it kind of like the film revels in adding grit to scenes that you would be used to seeing in slow motion with loads of CGI. You know, like this Julianne Moore's death or the scene where. 
Clive Owen has to push start a car to try and escape is incredibly mm. tense. Yeah, I, th- I just think that film is extraordinary. But like, I suppose Victoria pulls pulls off like its micro budgeted action scenes by spending a good ninety minutes building rapport with the two central characters. Um, played by Laia Costa and Frederick Lau. Frederick Lau is excellent in this film. And, like, I, I, I've, I've said it before, but, like, the first 20 minutes of this film are so important to get you going because they feel yeah. so fucking real. It's, it, like, it, you, it, it just feels like you're there. And there's good banter. It feels like it's fun but dangerous. The first 20 minutes are extraordinary. Yeah, it has this kind of naturalistic feel of something like This Is England of just characters that are interacting mm. in a way that, I mean, it, it feels like real life. And, um, yeah, you, you want to spend time with these characters. I'd say, like, as well, that like the making of the film is just an interesting story unto itself because of, like, the ups and downs of, of what occurred between conception and execution. Like, one would suppose writer-director, well, writer of a 10-page outline from which the dialogue was largely improvised. Sebastian Shipper, I think, had more in mind than merely stringing us along. But you'd be wrong if you thought that, because that the idea was just to engage you with characters in real time and plunge them into Pearl. That was the, the thing that he came up. It wasn't to try and make a film about Berlin or anything like that, even though Berlin is like a character in the film. Uh, it, it was just to get us to get to know characters in real time and hope we'd string along for the ride um, and funding for the film was contingent on his producing a cut together version which would, by all accounts wasn't great but then again I suppose he probably wasn't trying for that because he really wanted to do the one um, they shot it three times total apparently the first time played it too safe the second time was too crazy and the third was the you know the Goldilocks one it was just right with a little bit of fear and anger but apparently Sebastian Shipper lost his mind after the um the second one, which you can kind of imagine because, you know, what panic it would be setting in if you've done two out of three and they sucked, you know? Were they they weren't doing them all on the same night. No, right? no, They're no. doing them on different nights. Over yeah, the course yeah, of a week, they shot it three times. I remember hearing it around the time that, like, in one of the takes, Laia Costa had to go just off camera to, like, piss. I think she was behind some kind of sheet or something. Two stars. Mm-hmm. Let let me see the lady we. <laughs> Do you want that? To, it wasn't real enough for you. Yeah, it wasn't gritty enough. No, because weeing is cheating, as we established in the worst person in the world. <laughs> weeing is cheating. Yeah. Well, weeing is cheating is a very famous phrase that people say all the yeah, time. Yeah, weeing is cheating. <laughs> it's like that's what I say. That's what back in my drinking <laughs> days I'd say. Weeing is cheating. <laughs> pooing is honourable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pooing is highest honour. <laughs> yeah, and I think like as. He stated his project to be to, you know, build natural rapport in real time with characters and then seek, will you go along for the ride? I think it's a massive success because the plotting is insane. It's ridiculous. But because of how into these characters you are, you're, you are along for the ride. You believe it. You go with it. I didn't... It was only afterwards. I was... It was genuinely only afterwards or I, I when I was thinking about it. I was like, well, that's a ridiculous story. But like, you know... It's more to the <laughs> film's credit that, you know, you are... I was totally along for the ride. I thought it was amazing. Some of the, like... I just like... Well... I just like you reaching a point at the end of the film after a while just going, wait a minute. That was ridiculous. It didn't make sense at all. <laughs> it was ridiculous. ridiculous. But when, when I'm watching it, it it's quite tense. Like, particularly... It's very tense. Which do you think was the most tense moment of the film? Probably 
when everything starts, when the shit starts hitting the fan, I'd say when they go back and find the car, mm. when they go, but they go back to their car and they realize that the uh, police have surrounded them, and then they're just going through the streets, coked up, kind of screaming at each other, going "fucking calm down, calm." They're telling each other to calm down all the time while freaking out. Did you and then um, when that good, turns into a shootout? Did it end where you thought it was going to end? Like how you thought it was going to end? I guess I assumed that Victoria would get away with the money. I I kind of hoped just before we found out that Sonny had been shot, I kind of hoped that she was just, I kind of hoped she was going to run away with the money at that point. Yeah. Because she owes those people nothing. No, and they've gotten her into a world of shit. Yeah. Is there any way she could be caught, do you think? I think she could, legitimately. Yeah, like, I mean, her cafe, the cafe that she worked at must know who she is, obviously. Like, although they're paying her four euros an hour, so maybe not. Yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> maybe they don't. Maybe she's not. But she had, she'd have to have the legal right to work. Ooh. It's just kind of insane that she's earning so little. Though. I just remembered another one shot I saw recently. That Stephen Grant film, Boil- Boiling Point. That was very good. Oh. Is that stitched or is it? No, no, no. Uh, that's it 100%? They actually did it. First take apparently it's very good that's a very good film Stephen graham him in anything he should be uh, him and he's great he should have been in victoria who do you played in victoria the frederick lau role probably victoria yes no I I, he would have been. been like boxer or someone uh or the mean uh gangster fellow who made sure boxer didn't get raped in prison for me fuck i'm german my, i think the most tense uh, bit was definitely that stuff with the baby that was just heart in my mouth stuff you you mentioned that you really liked it when they went back to the nightclub the second time. Yeah, no, that annoyed me. Not the straight. What do you mean? Where they got yeah, naked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys you, got naked. Yeah, yeah. You said you 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 loved that scene. I had to. I had to go. I had to rush out to my local Greg's to get some cakes <laughs> when I saw that. <laughs> I got very hungry all of a sudden. <laughs> but but that is annoying, I, I isn't it? When they did that, it's like dudes. What, chill. what annoyed me? Yes, that stupidity. It just makes you realize, like the I've seen this said in so many places, but like the criminals that you see, the criminals that are caught are the stupid ones. Yes. Like the vast majority of people that are committing, yes. or the people that are committing crime who are intelligent, you never ever hear about that crime in any capacity whatsoever because, you know, it's just, it's hidden away because people are not yeah, I largely, stealing fucking 50,000 euros and then going and then fucking saying, going into a club and going like, ah, you turned us down earlier. Here's a hundred euros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like formed a theory around this exact this exact problem let's say there was a lady who um worked in a school where i worked in and um she got uh, caught skimming off the top to the tune of like about twenty thousand euros and i thought about how does somebody get caught up in something like that and the thing is it's like so if you live your whole life not being a criminal and then i don't know something weird allows i don't know there's a gap in your psyche or something that allows something through where you just kind of see i could there's a way that i could do this here and then you do it and the thing is then all the values that you previously held yourself by are worth nothing so you're living in a valueless state basically and then you get stupid because you can't stop you don't know what else to do except but keep doing it and it's exactly what you're saying it's like the people who are actually career criminals you know like in normal people who try crime mm. get caught that's what happens that's yeah, would be my yeah, theory yeah, yeah. about it unless you like make a proper career and apply yourself like neil mccauley from heat 
uh, even though he met a bloody yeah, egg. Yeah, exactly. But he was in it, you know, he was in it, he was all in. Uh, yeah, so that's exactly what happened with these fools here. Like, do you think the gangster who made them rob the bank was just watching on TV going, oh my God. <laughs> I, I hope there's no blowback on him. Yeah. <laughs> he seemed like he seemed like a nice he guy. Like a nice I, want him. I was worried about him. Yeah. He's just, uh, you know, he's he's obviously did some time, but he was he was offering people protection. He was bringing them under his wing. I think that's very noble of him. And all he wanted was ten thousand euros. He's not asking for an unrealistic amount of money. No, he only wanted ten thousand euros. Ten thousand euros. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, but I think the hard. I mean, okay. So, like you said, after finishing watching the film, you can say it's improbable. There are some issues with that of the you know mm. the realism of the of the narrative of this it basically hinges on these key moments of the main character agreeing to go along with a bunch of men that she's just met yeah and then agreeing to say like oh yeah yeah you, you her being told you don't need to come with us but like one of us has been in jail and some guy wants us to go for a meeting and she says oh yeah no i'll go along and then when they say like oh they want us to do this robbery and but you don't have to do it. and she's like oh yeah i'll go along until it, like she goes the whole way through are we just led to believe that she doesn't give a shit or the part where they kind frisk of hard her to get is, into uh, her mindset is quite sinister isn't it i don't really recall what they but i remember her being grabbed yeah when like they say they're not going to do the job and then one of the goons just grabs her and they're like whoa 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 whoa, whoa calm down poor old victoria i'd like a wow she's got fifty thousand. she's she which she's going to invest in a business apparently i would like a sequel where it's a one shot of um her having a nap after lunch with her family back in almeria oh no she's from madrid isn't she her character's from madrid <laughs> she's yeah. definitely from madrid what? Because that's the only Spanish city they'd heard of. Yeah. Sebastian Schipper hasn't done much since. No, he hasn't. Things are not looking that sh- shipper. Did he make money from it? For Sebastian Schipper. Uh, the box office gross, according to uh, documents that I read, it, it grossed uh, 6.7 million US dollars in Germany. On People were walking of, in and what? saying... Excuse me, I'm only willing to pay US dollars for this film. The budget was... I don't know how much it cost. Can't have been very much. No, no, I th- it was quite a small budget, I understand. Um, hopefully he got to keep the money from it, and then he can just retire. Because, I mean, 6.7 million is definitely <laughs> I hope to... they didn't pay anyone else. I hope they just gave it to him. Do you know anything about any of the cast? Well, well Sebastian... Sh- no, because that's, that's your job. But Sebastian Shipper was in The English Patient. He was in uh, Lola Rent as well. He played Mike... In La, Run, Laura, Run, Laura, Run. Is Mike the drug dealer boyfriend? I don't think so, because he's way down the cast list. Ah. He's like eighth or something. I'd like to watch that again. I remember really enjoying it. I quite liked it, but mostly now, when I think about it, I think about the Simpsons episodes. What's the Simpsons m- episode? Making fun of it. There's a Simpsons episode. There's a Simpsons episode. Yeah, there's a Simpsons episode that's in exactly the same format of three interwoven stories that have like a, a theme of... I feel like Lisa's running around like Lola. Wow, you know you've made it, huh? Mm-hmm. You're getting uh, lampooned in The Simpsons. So uh, Laia Costa, yeah, who plays the uh, titular um, Victoria, the most notable thing about her is she was once in an acting class with Enemy of the Show, Dan Gutierrez. Well, that's. I don't know why that's not in her Wikipedia I couldn't find biography. it on her Wikipedia I could page. Add, I could add it. Could not find We've We've proven in previous episodes that we do have the power to I think you uh, should add influence it. Wikipedia. 
Uh, yeah, so she trained in uh, Barcelona, where I live. She's been in plenty of films internationally. Looks like she's having an okay career for herself, to be honest. Okay being the optimal word there, I must say. But she was in a series that was uh, quite successful here in Spain called Foodie Love. Is that Devils? Oh, Foodie Love. No, food. I mean, Foodie Love. Does the title of that show not sound like everything you do not want to watch for the rest of your life forever? It says it's a Spanish romance television series also heavily delving into <laughs> delving into gastronomy, which... Uh, oh, is that, isn't that where you fart in a spacesuit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, to, we're, we're stealing top-class material uh, there from God uh, damn. one of the world's greatest stand-up I used comedians. To, I, used to, I used to shout for that bit. <laughs> to <Yeah>. gastronomy. <laughs> Oi. Then we got Frederick Lau, a sonne who uh, was born in 1989, right? Get this. Was born in 1989. But what he's what he's only gone and done is uh, he's married and has... Uh, he's married and has had three children with a lady 10 years who's uh, his senior called Annika Kip, who, like, if you look at her, she's like, you know, one of those, you know, stately women of, you know, she's like... It's like marrying a Blue Peter presenter or something like that. Fair play, Frederick Lau. That's what I say. She also looks... Kind of scarily Aryan. Yes, she does. I mean, the the Fuhrer would approve. Let's put it like that, huh? Both of them. Yeah, I think he was because he looks like Frederick Lau looks like a like a German soldier. Yeah, he looks like a guy who would be playing German soldiers in films. Only one other person worth talking about, I suppose. It's Franz Rogowski, who plays boxer. Um, he's a German actor and dancer. So, <laughs> but to his credit, he has been in films by uh, Michael Haneke. Hanukkah? How do you pronounce that? Yeah, I think it's Han- or it's probably like Hanukkah, isn't it? Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Anyway, Hanukkah. Yes, he's uh, he's named after a Jewish holiday. I can tell you how it's pronounced here because it's it's uh, Han- Hanukkah. Hanukkah. So yeah, he was Looking in at uh, the Happy End script. for Michael Hanukkah. I have not seen that. And A Hidden Life for Terence Malick, which is pretty cool. And he's going to be in Terence Malick's next film, which is about Jesus. It's called The Way of the Wind, I think. The Way of the yeah, Wind. Yeah, exactly. I've been continuing my catch-up on all things Malick, so I'm hoping to get to uh, a happy end. No, happy end is the Haneke one. No, I'm hoping to get happy to ending. a hidden life. You lived. You live a hidden life, don't you, Andy? <laughs> yeah, and I like a happy ending. <laughs> I, the one uh, Franz Rogowski starring film that I got hold of very recently is uh, a German drama from 2018 called Transit. Oh. You heard of that? I have heard of it's, that. Uh, it's by... Christian Petzold. It follows a refugee played by Franz Rogowski who impersonates a dead writer in an attempt to flee a fascist state. It was a novel written in 1944 that has been shifted to present day. I have uh, heard of that film. I've heard it's very good. I heard it's quite nice. I've heard it's quite I, nice. Uh, I plan to watch it eventually. Yeah. Well, if it's got Let's Franz Rogowski in it, how am I not going to watch it? Huh? That guy's fucking he has everywhere. like a sort of He's like a sort of German Joaquin Phoenix. I would say German Pedro he's Pascal. Got of, he's got one of those upper... He's got like a... He has a weird kind of high-pitched voice, mm. and he's got that upper lippy thing. What's that called? A cleft palate. Of all the... He looks like he's had surgery on a cleft palate. Of all the people in the movie, he looks most like a movie star, I would say. You think he's so? He's got the best face, yeah. Well, they none of them seem super movie no, starish they don't, to me. which is Lyra part Costa of the I was not a big fan of early on. I felt like... It was hard for her to improvise in English to the same level. Or like the others could all fall back on German. You know, Mm. they were using English, but then they could improvise in their native language. 
she didn't really she made a few comments in spanish she what she was doing was probably i would say now thinking about it is much harder than what they were doing um but i felt she wasn't that believable at times she won me she won me over about halfway through though the one part of the film where she annoyed me was when they're up on the roof and she is sitting on the edge which i don't understand why people do that that annoys me it's like come on is that maybe is that are they again trying to show that she's on the edge yeah yeah she's a bit on the edge i suppose literal and figurative mm, well done literally. you're smarter than that, me she said she said look at me i'm literally and figuratively on the edge here ah. and they went oh maybe if we if they filed that away they were like if a crime comes up and if one of us can't do it we should get her to do it because she's on the she's edge li- she lives on the edge she lives on the edge we should get her yeah it's shot around kreuzberg where they do very nice kebabs yeah among other things but yeah what else kreuzberg. is in kreuzberg well, it's like a nice part of Berlin. It is a nice part a of nice Berlin. Area. Yeah, yeah. That's where I probably it's, had the most fun when I was nice. there. Yes. I'll tell you where we, where it wasn't fun. Uh, when we went to the... My, myself and my wife, we went to the Holocaust Memorial, right? And to sort of um, save a bit of money. The one with all the big blocks, that thing. Well, the museum, the actual museum. All oh, right. Okay. And to kind of save a bit of money. You know, I mean, if you're going to save a bit of money anywhere, might as well be there. Uh, we decided to go in through the exit door, and sure, Belen came out thinking that um, Auschwitz was some kind of factory that made Jewish people. Uh, Donna Katirnin can be seen performing on the stages of Barcelona from time to time. That's right, yeah. Getting back in the game, showing them how it's done. Yeah. Yes. So look out for that material on stage. Hell yeah. Hell to the yeah. I actually gave out a bunch of business cards in Imperfecto last uh, Thursday for this podcast, hopefully. Oh, for the podcast, yeah, yeah. not for there another <laughs> your business. There was like actually a, a fellow listening who said he's going to be um, he's going to be listening to the podcast this week. So, uh, hello, English man with uh, who was with the lady with the uh, nice uh, yams. Gonna you better be listening. I hope he's listening. Well, uh, when I was watching Victoria, if do you know what film came to mind? Tell me, Silence of the Lambs. Why? Because it's got people in it. No, my connection is not superficial. It's got, it's got humans in it. Ridiculous. My, because my connection one guy sense. was in prison. Okay, fair, yeah. All right, all right. Just you like got some in Silence of the Lambs. Okay, okay. That one guy is a uh, cannibal. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any road. I enjoyed Victoria, Tony Erdman less. So do you think Victoria is acclaim oh, or slam? I'm going to say acclaim. Acclaim, sir. Acclaim, acclaim. acclaim. Yes, acclaimed. we acclaimed Victoria. Well done, Victoria. Yeah. It's critically acclaimed. Uh, yeah, commiserations to Tony Erdman. But of course, me and Andy, w- we like to have double acclaim weeks because that means we watch two good movies, mm-hmm. which we might. That's which the we ideal. May well do, That's the purpose. Uh, which we may well do next time around. Well, although next time around is going to be in two weeks. Yes, next week we're going to watch the uh, Oscar winner for Best Picture, French Guys, Coda. I think it's some in some episode a few weeks ago when we brought up the Oscar nominations and we said Coda. Well, you know, whatever that is, mm. wherever the hell that is, we'll see you next time. All right, what are you bringing to the table to toss? Well, for next time round, I went for Sean Baker's 2015 film Tangerine. Nice. Which uh, I guess I'm just working my way through the films of 2015 and 2016. Mm. Well, I mean, and you are quite a completist for Ziggy from The Wire, if I remember correctly. Oh, he's in this? Yes, he is. Oh, nice. James Ransom, that's his name. There we go. Okay. I'll bring to the table uh, Howard Hawks's Western, um, Red River. I'm going to bring Red River to the table, okay? Very nice. Do you have a coin? I have a coin. Please toss it. So I got a 20 and a lady. Uh, I'm going to go lady. 
It is the lady. Well done. Yay. Well done. Before I give you my combo film. I finally won. Tell me what I um what I might have won. Uh well I decided to go for uh Another Western with Johnny Waynes, and that's uh, The Searchers. The Searchers? You've never seen The Searchers? No, I remember it being referenced in a Patton Oswalt bit back when he was cool. Remember that? A million years ago? Yeah. He did a bit about like going in LA to watch a screening of The Searchers and some Jamba Juice employee type lady going like, uh, first of all, this didn't happen. Da, da, da. Like the very early elements of woke. This was probably in like the the early two thousands or something. I feel like and, and Pat Oswalt was, was against calling, the woke the woke lady. He was calling that out, or she he was saying like, yeah, it this was set in frontier times. You know, like uh, that's why it was full of big strong men, etc. Yeah, yeah. John Wayne like, is a proud racist have, in it. Yeah, bits that have no doubt aged horribly are like Pan Oswalt singing the virtues of that film. Wow, that is so. Yeah, that's, that's a, why I went for a that. little microcosm. It was in my mind. Cool. Okay, well, mm-hmm. what I, we're going to be watching? I mean, we're probably going to end up watching his last three films because I'm going to tap the Florida Project, one of the be- greatest films of this century, in my opinion. I just think it's an amazing film, um, and I'll probably try and get Red Rocket, uh, his film from this year, watched as well. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll get all that watched. Hell yeah, all right. And I've seen none of them, and Florida Project has been referenced quite a few times on the podcast, and I've always said, I'll, I'll get around to that eventually. Well, now I'm being forced to by court order. This is eventually, we're in eventually now. Um, yeah, and now is eventually. So, I mean, it's only going to be a couple of weeks before you find out uh, whether the films of uh, Sean Baker are getting acclaimed or slammed. Yeah, I'm gonna make. Oh, I reckon it's gonna be full acclaim, but we'll see. That is so fetch. Mm-hmm. Well, we're finally gonna make that happen. Fetch. Because yes. now is eventually. Yes. Now is eventually. Now is eventually. We're in eventually. All right. Uh, yeah. I gotta go. Um, I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.